Ladies and gentlemen, my name is uh, Alex Ernestl. This is my stream. Um, this is my stream on, on, on my new media portal uh, called Politica.ssi. Uh, and my guest tonight is uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones. He's been my guest on my YouTube channel for several times. He's a prolific Catholic, uh, American Catholic intellectual. And we really do have a lot, a lot to talk about tonight, Dr. Jones. And thanks for accepting my invitation. You're welcome. Doctor, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, is new motu proprium a regulation that has been needed? Or is this a uh, de facto ban of, of, of uh, traditional Latin, Latin mass? Can it be both? <laughs> But, let, let's, let's, let's begin at the beginning here to explain that, what happened here. Uh, in 1988, Archbishop Lefebvre consecrated four bishops without permission of Rome. That Um, meant that the society was now in schism. That's a schismatic act. The society is in schism. Now, Pope John Paul II at that point, in order to prevent his followers from the followers who had become accustomed to the Latin mass, in order to prevent them from following Lefebvre into schism, Pope John Paul II made the Latin mass, the Tridentine rite of the Latin mass, available on a limited basis. Now, uh, uh, what would it be almost 20 years later, Pope Benedict expanded that right. So the first motu proprio was Ecclesia Dei by John Paul II, allowing it on a limited basis. And then Pope uh, Benedict expanded it with Samorum Pontificum, which made it available on a widespread basis. Now, this was his part of his campaign to... Uh, and the Lefebvreite schism. Uh, uh, the other part was lifting the excommunications on the four bishops. Okay? Now, uh, those four bishops were all sent letters. Uh, and the letter, I know this because I met with Bishop Williamson in London, and he said he had a letter on his desk uh, saying, I accept Vatican II in light of tradition. So when I walked in the door, he told me that. I said, well, go upstairs and sign it, and we'll talk about tennis, because we were Wimbledon at that point. That's where the headquarters were. Well, he's, he's spent the next three hours explaining to me why he couldn't sign that letter, even though he began it by saying that Archbishop Lefebvre would have signed that letter. How can you not sign that letter? It, it means, you, how can you d d disagree with interpreting Vatican II in light of tradition? Anyway, didn't sign it, and at this point, I got some type of insight into schism. It's not just a technical, uh, technical uh, uh, app imposition of some type of category from the outside. There's an attitude there, and the attitude is that basically we do not want to associate with the body of Christ Because if we do, we will become contaminated. And the man who defined this was St. Augustine, and he was talking about the Donatists of his day. The Donatists were Judaizers. 
who, uh, like the Jews, felt that you would get ritual contamination if you were in contact with unclean people. That's always the problem with the Jews. Okay? So that's, it's not just a technical thing here. There is an attitude that is a very pernicious attitude, and it's a sinful attitude. And St. Augustine said that the basis of schism is lack of charity. And he then went on to say, you cannot be saved if you lack charity. St. Paul said that. So it's a serious sin. Okay? It's not just some type of external regulation like eating meat on Friday or something like that. This goes to the heart of what Christianity is based on, which is based on love of neighbor. And this is a violation of that love of neighbor. So I think personally that uh, Pope Benedict was naive when he uh, uh, issued Samorum Pontificum, uh, because at this point he ignored the, the deep-seated schism that was a part of the SSPX, but also expanded this indult, which was meant for a few people to prevent them from going into schism, to make it a basically a general right for the church. And that's what happened. So it became, at this point, a choice. Every Catholic, pretty much, it was pretty widespread. The implementation was widespread. And so I don't know what it was like in Slovenia, but in South Bend, Indiana, we have a parish run by the Fraternity of St. Peter, which is the group of Lefevreites who refused to go into schism. They were accommodated by the church. And they have a parish here where they say nothing but the Latin Mass. Now, the problem here is that the Latin Mass, there's nothing wrong with the Latin Mass, but it became weaponized. And it became weaponized in the United States almost immediately after Ecclesia Day. So I wrote an article 28 years ago about the Latin Mass magazine and basically the problem of two rights. Okay, now... Ratzinger said specifically there are not two rights. There's two translations of one right, but that's not the way it was perceived. It was clearly perceived as two separate rights, and once you have two rights, you've got to make a choice. And as soon as you make a choice, you're going to say that one is better than the other, and that's what happened here. So the Latin Mass was clearly superior. because All the people who go to the Latin Mass clearly think it's superior, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't go. And once you think it's superior, then you have to think that the Novus Ordo is inferior. And what evolves out of this situation is lack of unity in the church and a kind of continuation of this schismatic attitude. And uh, so was he, was he uh, accurate in understanding that? I think the Pope was accurate. I think he did have an accurate understanding that there was basically this spirit of disunity spreading throughout the church. Now, my proof of this is the response I got when I started talking about this. Fur people are furious. They're furious. They're saying, that's not the real pope. That's an anti-pope. It's an imposter. He's a Freemason. That's the Novus Ordo church. That's not the real church. This is the email after email I'm getting in response to the, to the talk that I gave with Peter Helen about a week ago. Well, this is proof that he was onto something. There is this spirit here uh, of, of division that has to be dealt with. Now, the question is, how do you deal with it? Is this the best way to deal with it? Well, that's, that's the Pope's decision. You know, I don't know, because basically now you've got this parish. He said you can't have parishes. We have a parish 
in South Bend where they all they say is the Latin Mass. And I guess it's illegal. It seems to me that it's it, it has to be forbidden. Now, what, what has happened is that the Pope has handed it over to the bishops and told them to apply it, and they're, a lot of bishops are simply ignoring what he said. So that, that's the state of the situation right now. So it's still open of whether the, the, this motu proprium is going to solve anything or, or, or uh, of whether it's going to to cause even even more division in, right. inside the, the church. Right. So what you have here is all of the the, um, the chickens are going to come home to roost. So everything that Francis did up to this point is going to be used against him now. Uh, for example, the Pachmana thing um, and so on and so forth. All of the liturgical abuses are going to be used against him as a way of defying the Pope. Now, I understand people's anger at abuse. How can you accept abuse? Abuse is by definition wrong. But the question is, are you going to throw the baby out with the bathwater? In other words, are you going to follow the Latin mass out of the church? That's a serious problem. Are you going to go on to, into schism? In other words, are you now going to go to an SSPX chapel because you're so attached to the Latin Mass that you can't go back and you're going to break communion with the Catholic Church? That would be a serious matter. That's certainly a possibility. I know that people, people have done this. We, I think that that is definitely a, a possibility, a possible reaction. But isn't it that everything from, from the second uh, Vatican II is, is basically just asking, just asking for, for more and more and more and more division uh, inside the church. And it, it, it's not as simple as to say that those that uh, that seem to be divisive today traditionals for you for example that do seem uh, to be uh, uh, to have this schismatic spirit and do seem to be the 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 agents of of division inside the church that they have basically been abused all these decades up till now from from the vatican to and uh, they've been um pushed into the corner to, to the point where as if they, they, they would be sad that, mm, I don't know, um, you, you have to stay inside the, the, the church, but the, the conditions are X, Y, and Z, and these conditions are so hard that, I don't know, what's your opinion? That, my opinion is there, that, uh, uh, schism is not the cure for heresy. Schism is not the cure for anything. Schism is a problem. Schism is a problem that makes the first problem worse. So if there are abuses in the church or abuses in the liturgy, the solution is to correct the abuses. Now, have there been abuses? Yes, of course there have. The whole post-Vatican II period was nothing but one abuse after another in one way or another because the church was being subjected to psychological warfare during that entire period of time. So let's talk about the Jesuits. Why? How can you defend the Jesuits and condemn 
the Society of Pius X. How can you do that? How can you do that? Because, well, because the Society of the X has gone into schism, okay, and the Jesuits have not. Does that, does that mean that the Jesuits are in great shape? No, they've got serious problems. Uh, the Pope just wrote a letter endorsing James Martin, the Jesuit whose main job is promoting homosexuality. This caused scandal. This caused great scandal. And then when you try, when he tries to exercise authority uh, in a situation where there is a real problem, I think there's a real problem here, a real problem of division. Uh, everybody throws that up and said, how can I follow this guy? He won't discipline James Martin. That's precisely the problem. That's precisely the dialectic that sets up in the church. And so you for you are forced to choose two equally repugnant alternatives. So it's the Jesuits or it's the SSPX. Now, I think we have to step back here and look uh, a little bit more closely into what's happening here because the Jesuits have played a crucial role in this thing. This story, this ball got rolling in April of this year when uh, a Jesuit by the name of Thomas Reese wrote an article in America, which got republished in Ridges News Agency, in which he said, there's a problem with the Latin mass and it should be restricted. And in the, uh, a statement that was particularly outrageous, he said, no one under the age of X, no young people should be allowed to attend a Tridentine mass. Well, this was outrageous to say something like this, especially since a lot of the people who do attend this mass are young people. This is the shift that took place under Ratzinger. Under Pope John Paul II, it was just old people attached to the former right. Once Ratzinger made it wide, uh, widely available, groups like the FSSP, the Fraternity of St. Peter, a Fraternal Society of St. Peter, uh, established parishes and it grew and they attracted a lot of young people. So now they're uh, in a very problematic situation. They, the people there are going to have to say, well, what do I do? What is my, what, where does my primary allegiance lie? Does it lie with the mass, the Latin mass, or does it lie with the Catholic church? Do I follow the mass out of the church and go to the SSPX chapel? Or do I follow the Pope and stay in the church and deal with the situation as it exists here. That's the crisis that this has precipitated. And the Jesuits precipitated it. It was the Jesuits who did this. Now, why did the Jesuits do it? Well, guess who just congratulated Pope Francis for suppressing the Latin Mass? I just got this five minutes ago. Abe Foxman. Abe Foxman, the former head of the ADL, thanked Pope Francis for suppressing the Latin Mass because the Latin Mass was a hotbed of anti-Semitism. And now we're getting, I think, to the crux of the matter here. Okay? The Jesuits are the proxy warriors of the Jews in the Catholic Church. Okay? Pro proxy warriors, they do the bidding of the Jews. All you have to do is read America Magazine, and you'll see that the Jesuits are chaplains to the oligarchs, and they endorse every single Jewish oligarchic initiative, from homosexuality to suppression of the Latin Mass. They do it. They get money from George Soros. They get millions of dollars from George Soros to basically uh, uh, endorse this. That's why it happened. The Pope is a Jesuit. I think that's the reason that it got suppressed. 
Can I, can I read you an article uh, I got a couple of days ago? It's from uh, Times of Israel. Uh, uh, this should sound interesting. Um, just a moment. Mm, Pope Francis restricts Latin mass that calls for the conversion of the Jews. Uh, and they right. say Pope, I, Pope Francis has restricted the, uh, I'm just going to read it to, to, to the end, uh, has restricted the use of the Latin mass, a form of the liturgy favored by the traditionalist Catholics that calls for the conversion of the Jews. And that until 2008 included a reference to Jewish blindness. Francis' declaration on Friday is a repudiation of an earlier decree by his predecessor, Pope Benedict, uh, who in 2007 made it easier to use the Latin Mass. At the time of the declaration, Jewish groups expressed concern because the Latin Mass recited on Good Friday included a prayer for the Jews that called for their conversion to Christianity and referred to the Jews' blindness. Right. What, 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 yeah. All right, so now the cat's getting out of the bag. Okay, the Jews are letting the cat out of the bag because this, the real subtext of this is Jewish influence in the Catholic Church. And so the real story of uh, what happened here, and I, I got this not just for all my own research, a seminary, a priest now in this is free fraternity of St. Peter, uh, told me, he did his uh, a dissertation uh, or some type of, uh, or uh, on the all of the, Jewish prayers that got dropped out when the translations took place. So the Latin Mass, uh, the, the vernacular Mass, if you read the documents of the Council, there was a certain logic to this. It's a global church. We need uh, liturgy in the vernacular to make it more relevant, to communicate the days of Latin are over, and so on and so forth. This is the way Ratzinger was talking in the 1960s. But that's all true. But again, we're coming to the implementation. And the implementation of it meant that the translation was going to be an excuse to censor the liturgy and remove anything the Jews didn't like from the liturgy. And that is precisely what happened. And that's why the Jews are upset because of the spread of the Latin mass. So the real story is the, the real subtext is the Jewish question. That was the reason that the, 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 the translation uh, got, uh, polarized, got censored, and that's the reason that the Latin Mass got suppressed again, because the Jews complained to the Jesuits. The Jesuits then told the Pope to suppress it, and he suppressed it. Now, that's not going to work now. There was an article by Eric Stryker uh, that came out right uh, a week ago, and in that article, he interviewed a member, a, tra a traditionalist who said, that what happened over this period of time is that the younger generations of traditionalists going to the Latin Mass started reading my book. They started reading the Jewish revolutionary spirit. And as a result, the Jewish question reemerged. So it was like the return of the repressed. So we're going back now. And this, to be honest with you, this was the intention, my intention in writing this book. We're going back now to 100 years ago uh, when Civiltà Cattolica, the official magazine of the Vatican, would publish articles on the Jewish question, and Catholics could speak freely about that. That all got changed with uh, Nostra Tate, which was, again, uh, a Jewish plot 
to subvert the teaching of the council. That plot failed. Now, people keep telling me that I say the Jews subverted Vatican II, and that's not what I said. They tried to, and it failed. They tried to have the document say that the Jews did not kill Christ. That did not. That failed. You can. You will never get two thousand bishops in the Catholic Church to sit down and agree that the Jews didn't kill Christ. The documents, all of the founding documents, are against this. Okay, but that's so it got suppressed because the Jews took over the interpretation of the Council using proxies like the Jesuits, who then suppressed this any mention of this through the English translation. So now we have the return of the repressed coming back. Now I'm saying the first generation of leadership in the Latin mass movement collaborated in that suppression. And they used the Latin mass as a way of avoiding talking about the Jewish question. But that's over now. But even, uh, I'm trying to, to think this over, even though it's obvious that it's uh, that the Latin mass is, has been weaponized. Couldn't it be so that the this movement, this traditionalist movement, and this traditionalist movement is not only SSPX. SSPX is um, only one part of this uh, this uh, this movement. Um, couldn't it be that this movement's been a sign of of Logos inside the church, the, the the and the only agent that can can help the church fight the uh, malevolent uh, um, influence of Jesuits and the Jews in, uh, inside the church. Could it? Couldn't it be so? It is a sign of dissatisfaction uh, that young people do not like uh, prefer this liturgy. Some of them do. I think that's that's true. I think you could say that. Uh, I think that people can go into this with sincere intentions, but uh, it still got weaponized. It, it did get weaponized. And, and the question is how, well, there was a movement, there was an official movement. There was a magazine called Latin Mass Magazine, which was basically a neocon magazine. Now, this came into existence long before Samorum Pontificum. Now, I wrote the article in 1993, so the, the magazine came into existence in the early 90s. So the weaponization preceded Samorum Pontificum, but the, the weaponization, did, did the, the crucial question is, did the weaponization take place in the fraternity of St. Peter? Did it take place there? What did there develop in these parishes an exclusivist spirit, a schismatic spirit that was similar uh, to what was in the of the Society of Pius X, that that's the question. The Pope clearly thinks it did. The Pope clearly thinks this was a serious problem. The emails that I've gotten for the past two days clear led me to believe that yeah, there is a clear problem because they're talking as if they are the Pope. They're talking as if the Pope has no authority. They're talking as if they're already outside the Church. So I, how is this going to shake down? I don't know. And we won't know until a, a particular bishop implements it in his particular diocese, because it's up to the bishop now. So the parish in South Bend uh, will depend on the desire of the bishop. If he lets it stay, then this will continue with whatever fruits, either good or bad. If he doesn't, 
if he basically follows the letter of the motu proprio, which says that you cannot use parish buildings, then all of those people will be faced with a choice. And I've already said what the choice is. I'll go, I'll follow the Latin mass out of the church, or I'll stay in the church. And in spite of the fact that I, 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 I'm not happy. Okay. Um, before we, we move on to, to, um, to the church and to, Pope and to vaccines and to the Pope's visit to Slovenia. Um, I uh, I would like for, for us to, to to watch a short video. I, I wanted to show to you. I wanted you to comment on on something that struck me. Um, Turning Point USA um, had an event or something like that, and uh, they consider themselves or they they call themselves conservatives and and a so-called conservative porn star brandy love brandy love crushed supposedly crushed their summit uh, and um they uh, kicked her out and they uh, all the, the the conservative pundits are trying to to say that um um it's it's uh, there's nothing wrong of what they did i'm not saying that it's wrong or that it's right that they kicked her out but I'm say, I, what I'm implying is that uh, these so-called conservatives had it coming, didn't, didn't they? Well, sure they did. Why are you kicking out a porn star? The last time I saw Turning Point USA, he, the guy who's the head of it was introducing, was, was promoting homosexuality. So at least a porn star, we're talking about heterosexuality, which is closer to the norm than homosexuality. So... Uh, this, there is a double standard here. It's hypocrisy. Why did they do this? Maybe they just made a mistake. I don't know. Um, uh, maybe there's a maybe the, the homosexuals run Turning Point USA, and maybe they just want to promote homosexuality and not uh, pornography. No one has said more against pornography than I have. I have helped uh, a generation. Uh, of young people break the uh, uh, addiction to pornography, okay? So I'm totally against it. I've said repeatedly it's a Jewish phenomenon. The Jews run pornography to destroy our culture. It should be made illegal. But in some sense, uh, if you have a conservative organization and some lady shows up uh, to take uh, to listen to your conferences, why would you kick her out? Did she take off her clothes and engage in sexual activity during the conference? Well, if not, then why did you kick her out? It seems like a stupid move. Let's try to watch a couple of minutes of this. Uh, I'll try to add this to the stream. Uh, uh, um. Just a moment. Um, Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk runs Turning Point USA. Wow, that's not the best picture of, of either of them. I don't know who, like Daily Caller. That's just not nice. Um, so legendary porn star reacts to being thrown out of a TPUSA. To give you the backstory here, Brandy Love is a legendary <laughs> porn star. Um, and she went to a Turning Point USA event, bought, you can buy tickets online. It's not difficult to get, you know, to become a VIP at the Turning Point USA event. She was a VIP person at the event, whatever that means, allowed into VIP rooms. Um, and they have an annual conference called SAS, which stands for the Student Action Summit. 
Um, and they revoked her pass and revoked her VIP membership once it was raised to them that you had in a porn star walking around. Now, I also want to add to the fact that when I say she's a porn star, I don't mean like used to be a porn star. I mean, I had never heard of her. I went to her Twitter wall and saw a full frontal nude, which is amazing. Apparently, you're allowed to be full frontal, legs open on Twitter, but you can't be a sitting president. Um, and <laughs> but that's weird. Um, and so the question, I'm going to ask this question in two parts. The first question I'm going to ask is, was Turning Point wrong to kick her out of the events? The second question I'm going to ask, which is in response to her tweet, which we can take a look at here. Well, TPUSA lost me for sure. So did Matt Walsh and a host of others. I have to tell you that this group, TPUSA, is every bit as frightening to me as Antifa. They are the furthest thing from MAGA that I've seen in five years. And she was backed up by Meghan McCain's husband, Ben Domenech. I think I'm saying his name right. I'm disappointed that TPUSA kicked out Brandy Love for no reason whatsoever. Okay. That, that's enough. Uh, what what does all this tell us about 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 this um, supposedly conservative movements of the movements we we thought that were conservative? For example, MAGA movement and this Turning Point USA that is really that is basically very very near to the to the. To the to the MAGA movement is basically a student version of, of, of uh, right. a MAGA movement. Um, uh, first although, of all, I, conservatism is dead. It's, it's a completely obsolete ideology. Uh, what we're talking about here is outreach for the Republican Party. It's not really a conservative movement. And I've said publicly before, and I'll say it again, that Charlie Kirk is a Coke sucker. He gets money from the Coke brothers. Uh, and he does what they tell him to do. So this is not a grassroots movement. This is something that is organized by the Republican Party to get people to vote. Now, if this lady showed up simply out of a sincere desire to simply listen to those things, uh, they shouldn't have kicked her out. If, she, if this was a stunt, okay, to give uh, legitimacy to uh, porn stars and pornography and to invite young people into the VIP lounge with someone of this ilk, then they should have kicked her out. So it's a question of, uh, you know, what were the details here? You know, I, this is the first time that I've been, um, that I heard Candace Owen talk about it. So if there was some type of endorsement, yeah, shit, they were right. They were right to kick her out. But why were they endorsing her in the first place? On the other hand, it could have been a setup like that recent setup with Tucker Carlson with that supposed uh, guy in Montana who walks up to him and says, you're the most horrible person in the world, as if that's some type of spontaneous meeting that was planned in advance. He's a CIA operative or working for the Asia Foundation, which is a CIA operation. So that was all set up. That's completely phony. Whether this was that, I can't tell. I can't tell uh, from the from the beginning. A question uh, out of topic. Is it wrong to respect porn stars and hookers more than people in Slovenian public administration that watch Netflix in work hours? Okay, this is this is really off topic. Uh, uh, yeah. The, 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 main, the main reason that conservatism is obsolete is that now we have government uh, as an obsolete form 
uh, that, uh, and we're really ruled by private corporations. And conservatism doesn't know how to deal with this problem because if it's private corporations, then it shows to be good and it's all competition. That is completely outdated ideology. It goes back to 1947, the road to serfdom, when Stalinism was basically the regnant uh, political force in Slovenia and the domestic version in America was called liberalism and it was all big government and so on and so forth. Those days are completely gone. The significant moment right now is the fact that the president's press secretary announced that they're collaborating with Facebook. This is really significant because if the president is collaborating with Facebook, that means Facebook is collaborating with the president. And that means that uh, Facebook has become an arm of the government. And if that is the case, then First Amendment rights apply to all of us on the internet, and we cannot be banned from these platforms simply because some private entity claims that they they don't like us or don't like what we're saying. Yeah, but it follows uh, from this na naive naive uh, faith in the so-called capitalism, doesn't it? The of course it does. Capitalism is going to solve all these problems. This is a completely outdated, obsolete ideology that uh, had its high point in the Reagan-Thatcher era of the 1980s. And the mess that we're in right now is largely because these people undermine the role of government, which is to protect us. Uh, by us, I mean non-oligarchs. People who don't have billions of dollars can spend $28 million to spend five minutes in space uh, and can buy uh, politicians uh, and anyone else they need and live in an alternative universe. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, let's move on, move on towards uh, the question of mandatory vaccines and not only mandatory vaccines, vaccines uh, uh, themselves. Uh, what, what is your, your stance on, on this vaccines and the whole COVID uh, epidemics, pandemics? Uh, first, thing of all, going first of all, we have to have clarify the terms. What is being injected into the veins of people right now is not a vaccine. It is a, a messenger RNA initiator of spike proteins, uh, which then are supposed to generate uh, uh, antibodies, which are supposed to take care of the COVID thing. This, it, it turns out that this, this, that is, that is the official explanation. It is not what is really happening. What is happening is huge. Anyone who gets vaccinated has huge amounts of spike proteins. Uh, unleashed in his body. These spike proteins then cause inflammation, uh, which is what they're supposed to do. That is what they're designed to do, but inflammation across the board. And so the first, since it goes through your bloodstream, the first thing that gets effects are your arteries and they become inflamed. And because they become inflamed, uh, the blood platelets have to struggle to get through and they form clots. And those clots then can go to your brain or other places and kill you. And this is all being suppressed because what this really is, it's not, it, it is, it is biological warfare. It is warfare against the entire human race. It was created as a weapon. The COVID was weaponized just like the Latin mass. It was weaponized 
And when you weaponize something, you invariably create a vaccine to protect your own people. So both the vaccine and the weapon were created at the same time. And now they are uh, have been turned into a binary weapon against the world's population. So first of all, you got the COVID. Everybody, okay, we got COVID. I had COVID. It wasn't that bad. You know, I've said before, I've had worse hangovers than this COVID uh, uh, thing I had. And I'm 73 years old. So I'm in a prime category to, to die from it. Didn't happen. Okay, so then we got over it. And then suddenly, well, wait, we're all over it. And then it was loosening up. And then suddenly the word came from the top of the, the totem pole here. No, we have to have vaccinations. Well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm immune. I already had it. I don't need a vaccination. But oh, no, no, you have to be vaccinated anyway. Well, wait a minute. Why is that? And so this reveals what's really happening, which is basically they want people to be vaccinated. They may intend that uh, some harm follow from this so that they can continue to push vaccinations on us. That may be part of the, it may be the intention of people like Bill Gates, who was a population controller. It may be intention to kill off large numbers of the population. That's also a possibility. It may be their intention to sterilize large possibility. Whatever their intention, a large number of people, the majority of people in the United States have refused to get vaccinated. And this is causing problems. And so now they're, they're ramping up the whole pressure. Uh, the Calif if you want to have a job in the public sector in California, you're going to have to get vaccinated. And uh, anything that's bad in the United States is worse in Europe, where they have more like Germany, for example, which has a whole history of being socially engineered after World War II. And now they're imposing this. And the result is uprising. I didn't see anything about Slovenia, but I saw... There are big demonstrations in London, big demonstrations in Paris, big demonstrations uh, all, uh, in Italy, all over the world, more or less. Australia, big demonstration in Australia. Slovenia, Slovenia is a bit problematic because uh, the uh, COVID has been weaponized um, from the from the left wing parties. To, to overthrow the so-called right-wing government that's been imposing these uh, restrictions because of the COVID. Um, so the and, left is uh, against the left is against vaccination. Yeah, well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad somebody realized that there's a political opportunity out there right now. God bless the left if they're smart enough to see that. Good for them. They obviously, they obviously saw that and they weaponized the whole thing. But the, now it's it, it became the problem because our left wing, although they they uh, did show some reason uh, while noticing this uh, this uh, opportunity, they are basically hysterical retards. And um, now uh, the so-called right wing government. Uh, has been using this, has been weaponizing this against other more reasonable skeptics right. or right. anti-COVID. Right. Uh, um, uh, you understand what, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I see that. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Yeah. The, the, the point here is that uh, uh, under no circumstances should you allow yourself to be vaccinated because the health, the, the negative results are already in you're taking your life in your hands uh, by doing this. That We don't even know what the long-term effects are going to be. And so under no circumstances should, th this is not medicine. 
if it were real medicine, the, the, they would have had real trials. And if they, if they had the casualties that they've had with this, uh, with real medicine, it would have been discontinued immediately. So this is proof it's not real medicine. This is biological warfare to bring the entire world under some type of scientific, pseudo-scientific hegemony that basically abrogates all uh, rights that we have achieved under representative government. In this sense, it's a, comp a continuation of everything that has happened up to now. Gay marriage, uh, the deplatforming on the internet, the whole campaign against hate speech. This is all the same pattern of basically destroying the rights that we had under representative government. What about, what about the Catholics and the fact that the vaccines, I'm not sure if every vaccine uses it, but what about how vaccines use aborted babies in their production? How can Catholics or the Pope support that? Uh, for, for, I've talked to moral theologians and they, they tell me that it's remote participation in evil. So the example they gave was uh, if the road was built by slaves, Uh, are you allowed to drive on it? Uh, because uh, you're obviously benefiting from the evil of slavery if you drive on a road that was built by slaves. Well, uh, that's remote. I can see how slavery is remote. I don't see how the cell lines are remote. I think that this is an ongoing process and, and we are benefiting from people. Uh, now, they, they will say, well, the cell line for this was created way back then. And it's all on its own, and it's not part. Well, I, this is a debate. It, I'm not a moral theologian, okay? I'm just trying to convey to you the uh, explanation that the moral theologians gave, and that apparently held sway over the Catholic Church, and that is one of the main reasons why the Catholic Church is hors de combat, as the French say, missing in action in the biggest struggle uh, of our lifetime, which is happening right now, or de combat. The, the other reason is that the Catholic theologians base their premise on the fact that this is a, or the claim that this is a vaccine. And I'm saying it's not a vaccine. So that it, it invalidates all of your moral logic. Whatever the reason, and again, I want to come back to the Jesuits. The Jesuits have influence in the church. The Jesuits do whatever the oligarchs, oligarchs tell them. The Pope is a Jesuit. And so they are going along with all of these oligarchic projects. And that, I think, is scandalous. But that's the situation. Um, the, a couple of minutes ago, I saw this question, and I thought it was, it was good. But then, then we, we went on. Uh, how fits in this picture ADL as a political police in the USA and globally? And some other commentators said that, uh, uh -huh, I, here I have it, the FBI is now nothing more than the armed wing of the ADL. Has it come so far? or has well, it for, for, first, first of all, there is, there is truth to that. Okay, in 1984, the... Uh, FBI uh, got together and they created an alliance with the ADL. Now, as soon as you do that, now the other thing that happened in 1984 is that the ADL gave its Torches of Freedom Award to Mo Dalitz. Mo Dalitz was a criminal, a mobster. He was involved in uh, rum running. He was involved in the Jewish Navy in the 1930s, 1920s, uh, bringing liquor in from Canada. What you do whenever you have 
the ADL involved in the FBI, that means that the FBI is no longer going to go after Jewish criminals. That's why the FBI is, that's why they have the alliance. So Mo Dallas, forget it. We're not going to go after Mo Dallas. We're not going after Meyer Lansky anymore. We're going to concentrate on, well, whoever the Jews don't like. That's what that's what happens here whenever you have the the FBI in bed with the ADL. Now the FBI got involved with the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is another Jewish terrorist organization, and they were so bad and so uh, blatantly operating according to political animosity that the FBI broke off that relationship. I have spoken with people in the FBI and they told me there are people who read my books in the FBI. Okay. And they have told me the biggest problem they have is the validity of intelligence. Is what these people are telling you true or not true? Well, if it's the ADL, I guarantee you it's not true. If it's the ADL, all they're saying is we don't like these people because of what they're saying. And so we think that the, the police should go after them and throw them in jail. That's, that's what that alliance means. Um, there, there's a friend of mine, Anthony P. asks, uh, there's a friend of mine who was born into Freemasonry. She claims my large diocesan parish that celebrates Latin Mass has many priests who are Freemasons. Why would that be? Any, any for, clue? For, for, First of all, I think that Freemasonry is an obsolete political movement. It's like uh, the Hussites. Are you worried about the Hussites? You should. You would have been in the 15th century because the Hussites basically, Jan Zizka conquered your country. Uh, it wasn't a country, but they conquered where your ancestors live. They conquered all of Europe. This was a serious political movement. St. John Capistran preached sermons against the high priest of crusade against the Hussites. They're not a, a threat anymore. I know this comes as a shock to you, but they're not a threat. The same thing is true of Freemasonry. It is simply not the threat that it was in the 18th century. It's an obsolete political movement. Uh, now, are there people who are Freemasons? Yes. Uh, are there people in the church? Do they control the FSSP? I sincerely doubt it. I, this makes no sense whatsoever. And so I don't think it's true. What about weaponizing the traditional mass and traditional traditional movement uh, inside the church? Could it be that those who are against the prosperity of the church, uh, that they would know, uh, that they would recognize the, the potentiality of such a movement to, um, to get the church back on track, and they would try to subvert it and send yeah, of course their they own do. agent. There was, yeah. there, was a, there was a whole, I mean, my operation was basically happened at the same time as the neoconservative colonization of the Catholic Church. There were, uh, you, neoconservatism is a Jewish, largely Zionist operation that arose in reaction to Jewish Bolshevism. Uh, largely in America, uh, because they they always things always change, and they're always involved in one movement after another. So it was uh, the Catholics latched onto it because it let them to oppose the liberals. But what the Jews got uh, as their in benefit was Catholics fighting each other. Well, that's exactly what you have now with the Latin Mass. Okay. 
Now, I know this for a fact because one of the prime targets for takeover were magazines. Now, I no one made me an offer, okay? I, I uh, 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 But Dale Vree was the editor of New Oxford Review, which was known as a conservative magazine, and he told the story of some Jew from New York who showed up and offered him a lot of money if he would support Zionism, uh, muscular foreign policy, and so on and so forth. That dominated uh, a certain part of the Catholic Church in America for a significant period of time. First things, conservative magazine uh, of fi uh, interested in religion was run by Richard John Newhouse. It was created by two Jews, Norman Podaritz and Midge Dechter, who basically took $250,000 that was supposed to go to the Rockford Institute, which was a paleo-conservative operation, and they created first things with it. That's everybody knows that whenever it gets up on the first things website, somebody immediately takes it down because it doesn't make them look good. But that was the story. That was the subversion of the Catholic Church that was taking place at that time. Or you can go back to the Vatican Council, where the Jews were promoting Malachi Martin and the Jesuits were involved in that. So it's one thing after another. They're always using their influence to create conflict within the Catholic Church. So I said before, the Catholic Church can either have unity or it can have good relations with the Jews, but it can't have both. If you want unity, you're going to have to take a stand against Jewish influence of the sort that led to the banning of the Latin Mass. It's that simple. But isn't this anti-Semitism? Anything is anti-Semitism if the Jews want it to be anti-Semitism. <clears throat> okay? I could say something that I just said, this is pretty much the same thing that Abe Foxman said about the Latin mass. He can say it, and it's okay. I can say Jews are behind gay marriage, and people will call me an anti-Semite. But when a Jewish lady says that, it's, it's a compliment. So we, ha we, can't, we, we cannot work with a term like anti-Semitism. It's a meaningless term. As Catholics, what we should say, the question we have to ask is, is it immoral to criticize Jews? Is it? Is it? <laughs> is it? Can you? Can you? Can I get an answer from the Pope here, uh, or a theologian? Is it immoral to criticize Jews? Yes or no? Because I would. I'm not an anti-Semite. I'm not going to say that. But I will say that I do criticize Jews, and I want to know if I'm committing a sin by doing that. Am I? I think Jordan B. Peterson would say to you that you should uh, first get your parish. Uh, clean up my room. To clean up your, your Okay, I'll clean, I'll clean up my room, Jordan. But you, this you, is I, collectivism. I, I, need to, I still need an answer to this question, even if I do clean up my room. We have to, we as Catholics have to take a stand right now and say, look, if, is this a sin? If it's a sin, then you're going to have to explain to me how Jesus Christ committed a sin. Because Jesus Christ criticized Jews. And then you're going to have to explain to me how Moses criticized Jews. Was he an anti-Semite? Is anyone who criticizes Jews an anti-Semite? The answer can't be yes, okay? So if the answer is no, then why are you, why are you going along with this uh, psychological warfare campaign then? If it's no, or what are you saying? The polite people don't say the word Jew? Well, I know that. I understand that already, but that doesn't rise to the level of moral fault. 
So we have to be perfectly clear about what we're doing. There's nothing racial about what I'm saying. I'm saying that Jews have inordinate influence over our culture, that they can destroy your life, and nobody should have this power. Not in any representative democracy. No one should have that power. Someone, someone asked, what is wrong with the Pope receiving... Because someone uh, already wrote that Pope's been receiving two billion a year from the China, Chinese government, and reconciliation is uh, is asking what is wrong with the Pope receiving money from Chinese people? Are there not Catholics in China? <laughs> there are Catholics in China. There are Catholics in China. I, I this is the first time I've ever heard that story. I suspect it's not true, but. Uh, if it's if 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 the Pope were uh, let's say to take money to compromise the Chinese Church, that would be wrong. Uh, but I, it's it's one of those claims. I, you'd have to substantiate that claim before I could take it seriously. Project for New American Century and its role in creating Greater Israel. That was the uh, the neoconservative manifesto in the nineties. The predicted basically uh, 9-11, they mentioned some type of Pearl Harbor style catastrophe. It was like the roadmap for neoconservative Jewish takeover of the United States of America. And a lot of it came true. Okay, the final question. Catholics, um, the, the, the Pope's visits to, to, to Slovenia if, uh, and when he visits and... Um, should Catholics um, obey to be vaccinated if, if there's going to be a, a condition to attend the, 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 the mass? No. The, uh, they, if they put that condition on attendance at mass, you should not go. The, the church has no right to impose this condition. Now, I just talked to someone from Slovakia. Apparently, he's going to go there. And the government is imposing this condition on the people who are going to mass in Slovakia. It's not the church. It's the government. And they said so the government says if you, if you don't get vaccinated, we're going to limit mass attendance to 1,000 people. Under no circumstances should you get vaccinated. And the church has no right to insist upon something that is going to harm you. Church has no right to that. You have a right of self-defense. This is biological warfare. You have a right to defend yourself. And the very least thing you have, uh, at the very least, you have a right to refuse to take some type of experimental substance into your body that has been shown to cause uh, health problems. So, no, the church, the church should simply refuse to go along with this type of uh Interference in going to Mass. Interference in the worship of the Catholic Church. Not, not in Slovenia, though. The, the, the Slovenian higher, uh, higher, higher in the hierarchy, um, priests are, are all on the government's line. Uh, so it's not going to happen in Slovenia. Probably. It's not going to. It's, I mean, the problem here is the same in the United States that the church is simply going along with government mandates that are clearly absurd. They're clearly not medically sound, and the church, uh, for some reason, the church will will learn, will live to regret doing this. They will live to regret this. But under no circumstances should you compromise your health. 
the mass, you should, they should not make this a condition of going to mass. Uh, it was never made a condition of going to mass to a normal mass here in the United States, even during the period when the churches were locked down. The most they asked of you was to wear a mask. So this uh, should not, the Catholics should refuse uh, this condition, refuse to be vaccinated as a condition for going to mass. Okay. Um, Dr. Jones, um, any final thoughts for today? Yes. Uh, crisis. We're in a huge crisis, but uh, there's always uh, a reason for all of these things happening. And so I think with the Latin mass, I think that that whole uproar is going to have a positive effect in the fact that it's going to bring back the Jewish question into discussion because it's going to become more and more obvious that those were the people who were behind the suppression of all these texts. And that's a good thing. So it's up to us to see how God works for the good in spite in the face of all of this turmoil. Okay, Dr. Jones, thank you. It's been a pleasure and a privilege as always. Uh, hope to see you and hear you soon. Have a nice, have a nice day. Have a nice evening. And, thank you. Um, thank you. Always good a night pleasure, to everyone. To me also. Bye.